Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today on a Friday, July 22nd. Well, Conservative Party of Canada leader Pierre Polyev will be on the show today. We've got some things to ask him about why he doesn't want to do the third leadership debate, uh, the third official one at least. There's a substantial fine involved. Is he comfortable paying it? Um, this is an official party debate, and he's saying, well, I won't do it. So what are the reasons behind that? And he went viral with another of his videos yesterday documenting some issues that he'd like to see uh, help the airport crunch at Pearson Airport. And that would be allowing more planes to fly in and out of our downtown airport, Billy Bishop Airport, uh, where you often fly with Porter. But he wants bigger planes and more options with longer away destinations. Uh, so we dive into that a little bit, both with him and on our own as well. Our 4 for 4 quiz is part of things. We do it on the Hells Angels. That's kind of fun. And a few other issues that you'll enjoy checking out. Toronto Today begins now. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined right now by the MP for Carleton. He is a candidate for leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he is Pierre Polyev. Pierre, it's Greg Brady. Thank you very much for making the time uh, for calling in and having a conversation. Great to be with you, Greg. Uh, I got I think the questions are going to get harder as the interview goes on. Let me just say, I'm a fan of the videos. I like watching them. I, I, I'm going to tell you, you're connecting with these videos. I know you see the views. Take us a little bit behind the curtain if you can. When you decide to make a video, what's the process of doing it? How long do these take? How long? Because they're, we, we're encaptured by them. I think we, if we agree with you, disagree with you, agree with some of it, we're all watching them. And I think you're noticing that. Well, the first thing is that I, I, I don't use a script. I sort of game it out in my head, and I rant it out at the camera, and then I hand it over to a crack team of 20-year-olds who uh, try to make <laughs> me uh, look prettier than I am, which is not an easy task. Um, and, uh, and then they, they, they put it out. But, you know, I think the key with making any kind of videos is you have to believe in what you're saying. Um, so often we see like corporate executives get these jazzy PR teams and they read focus grouped scripts and you can tell that they're just scripted. It has to come from your head and your heart. And I believe in what I say. And I think that comes through. We'll cut. We'll get to the Porter issues in a second. What I hear on the ground, what I hear in my neighborhood, what I hear from even work colleagues is people saying, I haven't voted for the CPC or I haven't voted even progressive conservative before in the 80s and 90s, but I would vote for Pierre. Do you, what, what does that do for you when you hear that sentiment? It's, a, it's, a, it's incredibly inspiring, but it also means I have a lot of my shoulders. I, I have a lot of people depending on me and expecting that I'm their hope and I will fulfill that hope. Um, you know, people feel like they've lost control of their lives. Just today, I saw an article, you need $220,000 of salary to be able to afford a home in Toronto. And young people uh, earn 50, 60 a year. It's impossible. So they're living in their parents' basements or in a 400-square-foot apartment, and they see no future. With rates rising, it's getting worse. This is Justin Trudeau's Canada. Uh, so I, I'm going to uh, put pr pressure on this municipalities to approve more housing. Um, by linking the number of dollars they get for infrastructure to the number of houses that get built, to sell off some federal buildings to turn that into housing, um, and I'm going to require that any federally funded uh, uh, transit station actually have housing uh, approved around it. So we're going to build more houses and stop printing money so our young people can afford homes. We're going to cut taxes so you keep more of your paycheck. We're going to cap government spending 
so that we no longer run these inflationary deficits. Uh, I really want to put people back in charge of their lives and make their paychecks more powerful again. Pierre Polyev is our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Here's here's the sentiment I think most parents have that, that I think a lot of listeners can relate to is we expect that we'll help our kids buy their first home. Our, if we're lucky enough to have our parents help us buy our first home, that's great. What we don't want to do and what we never expected our parents to do is to sell the home they live in just so we can buy a first home. But that feels like that's the GTA right now, Pierre. Exactly. We have the, the second worst housing bubble on planet Earth. Only New Zealand is worse. Toronto, I think, is the seventh most overpriced market in the world. Vancouver is the third when you compare incomes to uh, house prices. And why is that? Well, two reasons. The Trudeau government's been flooding the economy with all this printed money. The rich have got that money, bid up house prices and left everyone else out. The second thing is that government gatekeepers in municipalities like Toronto City Hall have made it next to impossible for builders to build. It takes five years to get full building permits. We have the fewest number of houses per capita Mm. of any country in the G7, even though we have the most land to build on. Well, we've got to get these gatekeepers out of the way. And so my message to city halls across the country is if you want more infrastructure money, it's going to be linked to the number of of housing units that you allow to get built. So when I hear the printed money, and, and, and you've referenced it twice, I do hear some people say, how would I know that a Pierre Polyev government would have taken care of me, especially in the early months of the pandemic when we're not working, when we're all quite scared about what, what this is and what this isn't? How would I know a Polyev government would have taken care of me more than the Trudeau government did? It is the thing I hear as to why people voted for Justin Trudeau again. He had my back those first several months of the pandemic. That's what I hear. Why would you have been different? Well, two things. One, of the half trillion dollars of debt Trudeau added since the pandemic began, 200 billion or almost half had nothing to do with COVID. That's according to his own parliamentary budget officer, brand new programs and just discretionary spending that had nothing to do with helping you through COVID. And then on the COVID spending itself, we all agreed that when government shut down businesses and workers, they had to replace their salaries. However, we didn't need to go on paying people not to work even when the economy was largely reopened and there were a million vacant jobs, small businesses crying out for workers, and yet Trudeau sending tax dollars to pay people not to work. Uh, that is crazy. I mean, we, uh, we, we all know the stories of very affluent people who were getting $2,000 checks. We didn't need to give profitable corporations wage subsidies that they turned around and gave in dividends and bonuses to their shareholders and executives that was wasted money and so we could have supported those in need without causing this monstrous inflation or just inflation as i call it i know you do um i got we'll get to uh to um billy bishop airport in just a sec here's the raw numbers and i've referenced these a few times and i i did coming into the 21 election of what the Conservatives need in Ontario. In 2015, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals had 80 seats. Stephen Harper had 33. It was 79 to 36 when Andrew Scheer was your leader. It was 78 to 37 last fall with Aaron O'Toole. How do you swing 25, 30 seats in Ontario? I can't figure out another. I play with the numbers. You probably do too. I can't figure another way for you to win the election without swinging 25 to 30 Ontario seats. How do you do it? We have to prove that our Conservative policy will put people back in charge of their paychecks, their money, and their lives. That means uh, giving uh, young people the hope that they could afford a home, uh, eliminating the energy taxes that uh, so that we can lower 
the cost of gas, groceries, and home heating. Uh, it means um, removing gatekeepers to build more houses so it's affordable for our young people to find a place to live. It means making the argument that instead of importing 130,000 barrels of overseas oil from dirty dictatorships uh, and helping Russia uh, by, by shutting down our own industry, we should bring home energy production, produce our energy here in Canada so that we get the paychecks and we can guarantee it's done in the most environmentally responsible fashion. Those are the issues that will win us the support in Ontario and a government for Canada. Do you need voters who voted for um, who, who voted for Maxime Bernier to vote for you? And are you hopeful, those voters, that that was a one time thing? That was about the pandemic. That was frustration over whether it was vaccine mandates, because that looked a little more, to use the prime minister's word, a little more of a fringe minority than what happened in January, February. Do you need those voters to come to you and vote for you next election? We need voters from all backgrounds, from all the different political parties, including people who've never voted before in their lives. In fact, those are the kinds of people who are coming to my elect- to my rallies. We've had about 60,000 people RSVP for my rallies Young people, for the first time ever, young people are bringing their parents to my rallies. We're, we're bringing people in who said they voted NDP because they're a union worker for their whole lives. But now they're voting for Pierre Polyev because they know that I'm going to bolster their paycheck and tackle inflation, give them the hope that their hard work will finally pay off again. Uh, we need that young um, business uh, owner who used to vote liberal but can't uh, keep his business open with inflation to, to have to vote for me because I'm going to tackle inflation and make it affordable for him to run his business. We need people from all backgrounds to vote for stronger paychecks for an end to just inflation. And that's what will win us the election. I want to ask you about that uh, potential third debate and why you, you, you are inclined not to participate in a sec, but let's go right to the airport situation. You make that video yesterday. It goes viral. We're all talking about it. You had a scrum uh, at the, at the airport yesterday. I'm I want more conversation on it. I do think there's a middle ground here. I don't think jumbos are going to be taken off at all hours of the day. I but I I I watched the video and I'm like, yeah, where's the lie? We would eliminate traffic to Pearson. We would eliminate. It's better for the environment. We would eliminate some of the gridlock. And who wouldn't travel more if it wasn't so inconvenient and time consuming? You're exactly right. So you've got this beautiful island airport. It has both a tunnel you can walk through to get to downtown and a ferry to carry cars. Um, We have chaos at Pearson Airport. Three hours just to deposit your bags. A plane stuck on the tarmac for uh, two, three hours Mm. without air air conditioning. Um, What we need is more competition. If we extended the runway at Billy Bishop by 300 meters, as Porter Airlines proposed about seven years ago, then you could land jets there. Now, they don't have to be jumbo jets. They can be whisper jets that are uh, quiet, safe, and environmentally responsible, produced by a Canadian corporation called Bombardier, which hires people right here in Ontario, but also in Quebec. Um, Trudeau killed the project last time. That cost Bombardier $2 billion. And then they had to bail out Bombardier with tax dollars. It cost the city of Toronto $55 million in tax revenue, cost 2,000 people their jobs, uh, and all because some gazillionaire uh, mansion owners on the island or wealthy waterfront condo owners 
who don't who chose to live next yeah. to an airport don't want to see airplanes. So as for me, I'm standing up not for the small gatekeepers, but for the consumers who want choice and the workers who want paychecks. So we're almost out of time here, but why not do the third leadership debate? Why not get yourself in? You say you need voters from all people. People might not have seen you in the second one. They may not have seen you in the first one. They may not be on Twitter. Um, they're probably smarter not being on Twitter. Why not do a third debate and and make your case to be the Conservative Party of Canada leader and eventually prime minister? Well, we already did three debates, uh, two party sanctioned, one independent debate. Uh, and look, uh, the bottom line is my goal is to get the three hundred and eleven thousand nine hundred and fifty eight people i signed up to join the conservative party to get out to vote uh and uh, having won the previous three debates it's not my job to bring <laughs> defeated liberal premier jean charret an audience he can't get an audience he holds events 10 or 11 people show up and he sees my events where we get five six thousand and he says he wants some of my audience. And so he's asking me to show up and give him an audience because nobody is interested in hearing from a scandal-plagued, tax-and-spend, defeated liberal premier. Uh, and uh, it's not my job to bring him an audience. It's my job to get my voters out to cast their ballot so they can take back control of their lives. And that's what I'm going to do. But this today. is your party, and they say it's a mandatory debate. And it looks like you'd have to pay a fine if you don't go. Like, why, why write the check? Just go for two hours. Well, it's, it's more than two hours because there's the logistics. And uh, I also already had uh, my schedule that has me uh, in another part of the country at that time. So uh, at the end of the day, if I have to pay a fine, I'll, that's money that I'll get back when I'm leader of the party. Uh, and that money will be waiting for me to use to, to get our message out to Canadians when, uh, when, when the time comes. I, uh, you'll go to bed tonight, uh, plan for a nice weekend with your family. Do you go to bed at night? Pierre, and you believe you're Canada's next prime minister? Yes. And how long have you thought that? Since I announced that I was running. Okay. Thank you very much for the time. And I want you to have a great weekend with your family. And I hope we can have another chat headed towards the fall and the eventual uh, decision on who the next party leader is. Thank you for the time today. I'd like that. And a great weekend to you and your listeners. Thank you so much. Pierre Polyev joining us on Toronto Today. Today didn't start... Um, very normal for me. I don't think I've lost my pass card here at course since the summer of 2020. And that was weird, right? We were only maybe four or five months into COVID and, uh, and I had to do all sorts of photocopying and paperwork and whatnot. I could not find my uh, pass card this morning, but something unusual happened last night. And I find it hard to believe as organized a human being as I am. And I'm waiting for Shiva Siddiqui to laugh out uproariously at the idea that I'm an organized human being, that I'm an OHB. <laughs> There you go. You're creative. You're creative. Well, uh, I'm not, I, <laughs> I don't. But cr so creative, not organized or organized people, creative and creative people, not organized. I can't tell. Yes. No, no. Creatives are usually not organized. That's right. I'm an artist as a, and I can't yes. draw. Uh, I can't draw to save my life. So um, I tell you the story uh, this morning. I can't find my pass card, but also um, I picked up a hitchhiker last night for the first time yeah, in 32 nuts. years. First of all, the fact that you've ever picked up a hitchhiker before this, like that in itself is shocking. But what would cause you to, so you experienced theft apparently from a, a hitchhiker. I think, start from I, the beginning. I, I think I was carjacked, but she, she took my chorus, <laughs> cue, uh, chorus uh, key pass, not the car itself. She maybe thought that okay. was more valuable than the car or any of the people in it. Walk me through this because you had your kid in the car. My kid and his friend. Oh my God. Okay. I tell, I tell Rachel and she's like, he's never going to come over again. I'm like, well. 
Well, it was yeah, nice no knowing kidding. him. <laughs> okay, fine. He's his, it's his workout buddy. So 8.30 last night, 8.45, he says, and I, I, my soul sunk. He's like, will you drive us to the gym? And it's not far. It's about seven, eight minutes each way, but I've got to pick up his friend. So, okay, um, I pick up his friend, and as we loop the corner to come back around towards the gym, there's a, there's a woman on the street <laughs> who's probably 70. I'm going to say she's probably 70. Um, and, uh, age is just a number, but she, she's kind of waving at me. I'm the only one turning right. And she's waving at me and, and I roll down my kid's passenger window, which I'm watching for her to bring out brandish any kind of weapon or anything. I'm like, boy, the carjackers <laughs> are really changing in the GTA. It's getting to be a lot more in vogue crime, but okay. Diverse. I mean, we had a woman Diverse. carjack somebody this week. Did we not? Why yeah. don't maybe things. We she wasn't 70 years old though but go on the 70 year old was carjacked maybe this is that same woman looking for revenge <laughs> i need a car now <laughs> so what does she say to you she's just there's a little bit of broken english now if you if you ask me her origin i'd say like polish ukrainian like i i just i i couldn't spot the accent um so okay. she just says um she's dressed but she's dressed I think decently. And she says, I, I need to, you know, oh, so hot out. It's so hot out. I'm like, yes. And I'm like, she's leading up to something. I'm like, does she want money? Would be the first thing you'd think. Wave, roll your window down. Do you have money? And had, I guess I'm already, I've already rolled the window down. I guess I'd have given her whatever change I had because we just don't carry that much cash anymore. But then she says, I want to go to Sobeys. Sobeys. I want to go Sobeys. And she's got a Which is how far? Which is how far Two away? Two kilometers. Like, it's kind of on the way. I, and okay, I, around the corner. It's okay. just around the corner. Yeah, if she said, I need to go to Pearson Airport, uh, I would have been like, talk to Pierre Polyev at 8 o'clock, and he'll, uh, he's got better <laughs> options for you. But I say, I think about it for about four seconds, then I'm like, okay, hop in. And my son just looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, it's only the Sobeys. But I'm telling you, I cleared out the front seat of the car uh, when I took them to the dentist at 4 o'clock, and then I and then the, I make sure the back seat's clear because I know we're picking up Isaiah. And I think I just probably haphazardly threw my Coors Pass into the back seat. It's not okay. there this morning. I dropped her off at Sobeys without incident. So I thought there's I I haven't lost my pass in 25, 26 months, and I haven't picked up a hitchhiker in 22 years. So so coincidence <laughs> or not, why would she take it? What's in it for her? I don't know, but I don't feel bad for you at all. You, <laughs> you go your should. whole it's life. It's Friday morning. No, I'm going you go crazy your whole this morning. Life telling your kids, um, yeah. you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't ever get into a car with a stranger, don't ever pick up a hitchhiker. <laughs> Meanwhile, dad drives by, some woman waves at him, and he's like, sure, hop in. <laughs> would you have, you, do you think, okay, no, so you're a never. woman, would your husband have done it or would he have kept going? It's a big ask. I think if he had the kids in the car, he would not. Uh, because yeah. she's a seventy-year-old woman, that's, that, that's what changes the story. I agree. I, he I, might have. I wouldn't have picked up a teenager. I wouldn't have picked up a twenty. I don't know if it's like Juliette Lewis from Natural but Born I Killers. I don't know. I wouldn't have done it with a seven-year-old any male female. I wouldn't have done it. It's just ingrained in me. I have friends who've hitchhiked when we were teenagers, and I've, they've had bad experiences. <laughs> So for me, it's like, I don't know. And who knows? What if it was like the Louvre in Paris where it was a, a man pretending to be an elderly woman? <laughs> you know that story, right? Some man I, I was looking for signs of that. I was kind of eyeing her a little bit without without scoping her. I was eyeing no, her and looking for signs of trouble. Do she not was, pick up a hitchhiker. And she, that's what happens. Look, she 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 uh, she shot she card car lifted shop lifted she car lifted she may have she may have. i don't know whether she thought she'd get a discount at sobeys if she had my course key pass card 
when she arrived what there. His, what did his friends say to you after you guys? He was her just kind of he was just kind of quiet. And I said, I did this. <laughs> and now I should point out she was wearing an orange jumpsuit with black uh, black numbers on it. Uh-huh. Was that should I not have done <laughs> That's this? Then? Kind of a giveaway. That's not. Um, but uh, yeah, my wife's like, well, he'll never. The kid will never come over again. He's going to tell his parents that you picked up a hitchhiker. And I'm like, I picked That's up an old it. lady. I picked up an old no. lady who I thought might be suffering from heat stroke. Doesn't it matter. really she did. She cleared you out. She cleared you out, Craig. Who knows what else is missing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking like I, I my car has random parts of deodorant and golf it's balls. All gone. And, it's all gone. And I've cha- I've had to ch- I changed for golf and then out of golf into soccer manager mode in the car. Like I made two car car clothing changes on Tuesday alone. Like I don't know. Work. Have you ever done that before? Well, apparently you have. Okay, so, so you I used to pick up hitchhikers like as a hobby. I, I or did what? this one time in 1990, <laughs> and I'm 19, and I, I, oh I, this God. girl looked like she was like wandering into traffic. Now, when I picked her up, I realized she reeks of booze. So, like, I, How but old I was thought she? 22, 23. But I'm not looking for a date. And she got. I'm in trying the to get her home. With you. She got. She, well, she got in the. She was hammered. And this is two o'clock. Oh. This is broad daylight. I wouldn't pick anybody up at night. Although I kind of did last night. It was eight forty-five. <laughs> but summer solstice, Gord. Like I wouldn't have picked her up at eight forty-five p.m. in October. Right. It would have been pitch black. But so I got a good note. I'm going to think of you. You're the guy who drives around randomly picking up strange women. That's but what you do. It got. I, I had that sense of real accomplishment pulling into Sobeys, feeling like an Uber driver. Maybe they feel that way with every transaction. Now, did you watch her go into Sobeys? Did she no. go into the store? No. No, she hit the road again to see who else she can car shop the car lift from. Meanwhile, she's going. Uh, I got into the car. You this guy. Right. What a story this is. I'm I'm reading this. This uh, <laughs> a listener just sent me this on something called thoughtcatalog.com. Five reasons you should pick up hitchhikers. One, you'll be helping a traveler out. Two, you'll be saving the environment. Like we're doing so, we're doing okay so okay. far. I did both those things. Uh, you'll meet someone new and interesting. Who's a kleptomaniac? <laughs> um, you'll get some help to stay awake. Oh my God! Who would, that's not a good re- going on a long solo road trip. Uh, one thousand five hundred fifty people die in America each year in car accidents caused by people falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah, and probably double that disappear because they were murdered by hitchhikers. Yeah. Well, also when she got in, she was sitting in the back seat with your son's friend. I know. Beside her, I'm assuming. I know. So, oh my god, he's never ever <laughs> coming over again. Well, we did have a debate on the way to the gym. If she'd had a gun, would she have put it into the back of my neck or into my son's <laughs> friend's ribs? Like who would have been the hostage, Gord? She needs me to drive properly. The son's friend, your yeah. son's friend. I, that's yeah. what we. That's what we agreed upon. Yeah, because it's yeah. like uh, you can do what you want to me, but don't hurt my kids. And I'm like Isaiah. I've got life insurance, I guess, and my wife would probably get remarried within about two months. But Isaiah, you're four, you're 16. You've got your whole life ahead of you to accomplish. Two months, a few weeks. <laughs> Maybe Isaiah took your card. It's like, hey, this is what you're putting. This me was an back inside here. job. <laughs> it's Isaiah's together. mom. <laughs> Okay, there's, yeah, there's lots of guy, options. This guy's, yeah, I see, I took the car. There's yeah, he's like, well, this guy's nuts anyway. He picks up random women off the street. So, but I, clear I, I knew that sentence would come up at a certain point in time, <laughs> and it would, I, would, I would be in a bit of an indefensible position. One of the remarkable things about uh, Toronto today is we've been able to craft relationships, and we have one with the magazine Toronto Life. And uh, they've sort of come to us and said, wouldn't this be an interesting person to talk to? Wouldn't that be an interesting chat? And for the most part, almost exclusively, they've been right. They've been really fascinating discussions. And another one I'm eager to have right now is the author of uh, a book called Escape from Manus Prison. 
This uh, this man fled uh, Burma. He refers to it as Burma, but it changed to Myanmar in 1989. Um, just a brutal, dictatorial, uh, military hunter regime. And uh, and he decided, well, I'm going to just get on a boat and seek asylum in Australia. And uh, they took him to one of Australia's infamous prisons. He's in Toronto now. He's been a Canadian citizen since 2020. And I'm really eager to have... Uh, Hyvet uh, Elam on to discuss his journey and his new book, and we'll talk about that. It's one of those scenarios where um, I know you reference it as Burma. As I mentioned, I know it as Myanmar, but I know the United States refers to it still as Burma, and many politicians won't use the Myanmar name, and that's just out of respect for what, what Burma was before. Do I have that basically right? Right. You're, you're absolutely right on point, and I still refer it to Burma. Right. which I felt like the name Myanmar was later introduced by the military government to somehow give a false impressions of inclusiveness, like all the ethnicity, which wasn't the case, which isn't the case and is actually getting worse on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think the former name reflect the reality better than something that is, you know, sugar-coated and manufactured by the military to give a false impression uh, to the rest of the world. Of course. Uh, Javed Elam is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. His story is in and on uh, the latest Toronto Life. You can go to torontolife.com, find out more. Um, beyond the obvious, um, when you leave in 2012, had there ever been moments where you were this close to leaving, so close to deciding to to make this decision and flee, as you describe it. It's the only place you ever have known. You were born in Burma. You grew up as a youngster, a child, a teenager in Burma. How how significant was the decision to make leaving? And, and were you really close to doing it prior to this? Or was it just a series of events that quickly led you to, to attempt to, to flee and become a refugee? If you would ask me the same question around a year prior to my, uh, my departure, uh, I would say, no, I've never thought of leaving the country. And, and as I said, this is the only place that I have ever known on my entire um, existence at that point. And as the situations was getting worse, it's, it's becoming to a point of where it is not a luxury that you can afford anymore, whether to leave the country or not. It was like, you don't actually care if the fans in front of you got a no trespassing signs or a private property sign. You just jump the fast that has the highest probability of like survivals. And for us, it was partly personal, but also partly collective decisions to flee uh, because the situations became so bad that um, the collective decision was whoever could move should move. Whoever could flee should flee. And um, there are like multiple documented cases where people were being shot in the back while they were fleeing. I want to ask you a ton about your life now in Toronto, and I want to encourage people to read the piece, but I want to ask one more about Burma. Is it a beautiful country? I mean, you describe the moon, the stars, the sunrise, the sunset. It's it's just must be so anguishing for you. It's this beautiful country geographically on the Bangladesh border that is so strife with terror and a military regime and intimidation and and people aren't free to travel and uh, like it 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 seems like a beautiful beautiful aesthetic country it is it is uh it is heartbreaking like to leave everything behind um and i don't think anybody ever who became a refugee willingly or not willingly ever intended to leave their home mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say this in the confidence because like I have seen my grandma and other relatives of our, even though they knew they have to leave the home, the last thing they did was clean the house, put it in the proper estate because that's the last memory they want to have of their home, of the houses. And that, I think that tell how much people's are reluctance and like some even give up, like, no, I'm not leaving the place that, you know, I remember as, as the world. So it was, it was pretty heartbreaking to leave everything that I've known. Is it fascinating living in Canada where you watch uh, us, people that work in the media like me, and, and sometimes we question the government and sometimes we are right and sometimes we're wrong, but we're able to do it without fear of reprisal. That's, that's what it's supposed to be, isn't it? It is. Uh, I often use this as an example to a few of my friends um, comparing to Burma, like where the government is doing, you know, horrible, horrible things. You're not even able to open your mouth and mention about it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why one of the fascinating about Burma is like we have such a language where you would speak for 10 minutes or five minutes of it will be allegory, examples, metaphors, because you cannot mention what is happening in plain term. But in here in Canada, like, yeah, sure, sometimes government, you know, don't listen to you. <laughs> Governments, um, at least you're able to verbalize it. You're able to mention it. And also it kind of give a sense that they're not off the hook. They want to do whatever they want. Somebody's actually watching. Somebody's actually listening. Somebody's analyzing this, what's happening. What's the best thing you like about living in Toronto? I actually mentioned Toronto a few times to uh, the, to other interviews from a friend. This is the first time like since I left Burma where I feel like I can stop running and start leaving again. I, I was recently in a trip uh, and then like I was I realized how much I was missing back in, to come back to Toronto for the first time. Um, this was like my trip for in, in about four years. Um, and then I never thought I would miss this so much. A lot of things that I would have to worry back in Burma. So that safety net is, I think... Uh, something that I highly value, something about Toronto. I want to mention the book and uh, obviously the, the Toronto Life piece is an excerpt from the book, Escape from Manus, The Untold True Story. It's available in audio book as well, uh, but we're speaking with Javet Elam, the author of that particular book. What's what's something that could make Toronto better? And I wonder if, if given where you came from, given the experience you went through um, and the resilience and, the, and how brave you were and the brutality you watched other people suffer and could have suffered yourself, um, do you wake up every day just feeling grateful yet at the same time saying, this could, this could be better, this could be better? Like, I think it's okay to, to always want more, to always want your circumstances around you to be to improve and for us to improve as people. How do you view it? It is great in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean there is no room for improvement. I had my fair share of facing discriminations and whatnot in my early days here. One of the things that I always get was like um, in my first year at UFT, a person figured out like uh, I was a refugee at some point. And then like he was like, oh, you speak really good English for a refugee. And then like I think that's like it's not necessarily their fault, but I think it's like uninformed in many ways. And um, I think we are still stuck in this process of like where people's come only on humanitarian grounds on the refugee and they have like nothing else to do other than like, you know, receiving help. I think that's some things I found quite a few times. And uh, I wanted to clarify, like people who actually make it, 
they passed like so many natural selection process. Like not everybody got to flee, only, you know, a handful of resourceful people made out of the persecuting regimes in anywhere you are. That's like the first selections to me, being able to make out of these brutal conditions in a lot of refugee camps, being able to get out of it is like another second selections and being able to actually make it to a third country and make a, make a life there. It's like you had three natural selection process when they're that almost weed out a lot of weak apples, I would say. So it's not like refugees are arrive only on humanitarian grounds, it's just natural that only the most resourceful made it. And I think there's some misconceptions that I think, um, Toronto could improve when seeing people's um, arriving on its airports on its shore. I get it. I get it. And I, I love that you said that. And I think that's that's a really fair commentary and, and constructive criticism um, for all of us to, to end up having some consideration for. So I should say the book is out August 2nd. Uh, people can find it on Amazon.ca, Escape from Manus Prison, One Man's Daring Quest for Freedom. Javed Elam is our guest, and you can read an excerpt of it uh, in this week's Toronto Life. Good luck with the book. I hope we get a chance to talk again. I'd love to have you back on, uh, but this was wonderful today. And it sounds obvious and, and trite, but congratulations on on telling your story. It's one thing to do it in this incredible, incredible manner, uh, but to lay it all out, it will inspire others. So thank you for writing the book. Uh, I hope so. Thank you so much. That's Javed Elam. The book's called Escape from Manus Prison. Two quick thoughts. One, he got inspired uh, to get out of Australia from the Fox television show Prison Break. Remember, that was always on after 24. I'd watch 24 nonstop Prison Break after 24. That I find quite amazing. And the second part is I like that he's in Toronto now and he still says this can be better. That can be better. I mean, I'm sure every day is a quote unquote blessing for him. But I like that he says, this is what our city is and this is what we can do. And, and he's felt that bias. He's felt that that stare down. Um, and everybody's got to prove. Everybody's got to prove they can sort of carry the mail in their own way when it gets to that point. And Javette has done that. Good luck with the book. And it was great for him to join us. We've got our last uh, four for four quiz for the week. Uh, the quiz content has really stepped up this week. Uh, so there's great, great pressure on uh, me to deliver here. And I thought after yesterday's I, unsanctioned event. I cannot believe there was an event in the city without sanctioning. Um, <laughs> but the Hells Angels had a uh, a ride through downtown. And now Whitby and Brooklyn are prepping for a busy weekend. Nearly 1,000 Hells Angels club members with the really cool vests. What happens if you lose your vest? Like when you lose your pass card, Gord, do that's, you get... That's a big problem. Is there like a website? Yeah, it's a big problem. Do they go, just, we, we're not going to order you another one. Have you looked everywhere for I your Hells Angels vest? I don't say picking up a hitchhiker is going to fly. <laughs> By the way, my wife begged me. She's like, if you're going to do Hells Angels stuff, don't make fun of them. And I'm like, I don't. What do you think? Yes. What, what well, possible repercussions could there be? I get emails from our <laughs> listeners say, telling me how bad the Hells Angels are. I'm not saying talking anything negative about the Hell's Angels on the air. No thanks. I'm not either. I don't want them showing them up, showing up my house. No, we, thank you. We just said we were fascinated by them yesterday. <laughs> we still are. So we're gonna do. Uh, okay. So uh, yeah, we're gonna do a quiz about this particular motorcycle organization. Did anybody tell you that this is the private club of the Satan's helpers? Nobody hit me to that, dude. It's off limits. The off-limits guy's just dialing his acting up to about 12 out of 10 there. I got to admire it. So it's actually the Hells Angels and not the Satan's Helpers. Let's start with this one. And I think this is a softball. The preferred type of motorcycle for the Hells Angels is a Kawasaki, a Harley Davidson, or a Yamaha. Dave? Oh, hands down. That's a Harley Davidson. Sheba? 
Same, Harley Davidson. Gordon, since you didn't say Vespa, I'm going to say Harley Davidson. <laughs> I think I think it's an e-bike. I think when you get that throttle going, hey. Sheba and her husband's e-bikes could uh, that you could you could blend right into the ride in Brooklyn this weekend oh, if yeah. you so chose. Could be an image right change. Harley Davidson does make an electric motorcycle. There you go. Well, a listener points out Yamaha also also makes pianos, and would the Hell's Angels ride a motorcycle that also could be made by a piano in the same uh, like wing? That's Those, a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Up the manufacturing exactly. area. Exactly. Good point. Uh, the FBI's 2009 gang threat assessment <laughs> lists the Hell's Angels and four other gangs as outlaw motorcycle gangs. I'm going to give you the four other gangs, but one of them's not on the list. One of them's not on the list. The outlaws, the Mongols, the banditos, and the free souls. Outlaws, mm-hmm. Mongols, banditos, free souls, Gord. Which of these is not an outlaw gang? I've never heard of the free soul, so that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Shiva? I, I haven't heard of the free souls or the Mongols, so it's one or the other. I'm going to follow Gordon and say free okay. souls. Dave? Yeah, I think he threw that one in at the last minute. You had the list <laughs> yeah, and you're not. like, you're like I'm gonna, what is a good one? Free souls. I yeah. work tirelessly on the... Uh, it is the, you're right, it's the free souls. Fine. Uh, they operate mostly in the Pacific Northwest. Some members have been accused of manufacturing and selling methamphetamine and stealing motorcycles. Just casual things. Yeah, yeah. Just that, that's what you do. But the Banditos, the Mongols, and the Outlaws are major rivals to the House Angels. The Banditos are said to control much of the drug trade in the southwestern U.S. Don't I know it? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, so you guys are two for two, collaborating, yeah. almost conspiring to go <laughs> perfect. Right. So it's, try and st- I would stick together on these dancers. Hell's Angels became nationally infamous in the United States after their participation in a rock concert would feature the Rolling Stones. What concert was it? Woodstock, the first Lollapalooza, or Altamont. Sheba? Oh. Um, when was Woodstock? Uh, that was like, yeah, was, uh, I'm going to say Woodstock. Okay, Woodstock. Gord? You didn't say Lil Affair, so I'm going to go with the... Uh... <laughs> Listen, the security for Sarah McLaughlin, especially after those yeah. dog and cat ads yeah. in the cages, that I was know. intense. True, yeah. She made everybody feel bad about that. I believe it's Altamont. Altamont. Dave? Yeah, I think it's Altamont, too. It oh. is Altamont, uh, famously documented in the film Gimme Shelter. Yeah. Uh, the Stones had, uh, like, there was some trouble in the crowd. They had Hell's Angels as their own security guards, and no big deal. A dude got no. stabbed to death. Yeah, so, that's what happens. So, you know, yeah, these things, uh, you know, pay your money, take your chances. Yeah. But there's he- Gimme Shelter. Gimme Shelter is an amazing thing to watch that because then the oh, yeah. band is all rattled afterwards. They get oh, told totally. somebody was well, exactly Crazy. And finally, uh, Hell's Angels is also known as the number 81 gang. And that comes from H and A, the eighth and first letters of the alphabet. Is that true or is that false, Dave? Hang on, I'm counting. So that I, you know what? I think <laughs> that is true, actually. Okay, Shiva. I'd never heard of them as the 81 gang, uh, but I like that explanation, so I'm going to say true. Okay, Gord? I got to go false. I, I've never heard of that either. Nah, Gord, Dave and Sheba had this uh, right. H-A. Yeah, they, they, have, they have little 81s on their patches Correct. if you look closely. Oh, right? oh, really? Correct. Uh, the club's also known by its colors, red and white. And as one percenters, because they are accused of being the 1% of riders who are criminals. I didn't say that. I Googled it. I'm not saying that. Greg Brady is not saying yeah. that. Well, it's, it's an accusation. <laughs> it's not proof. Greg Brady and Ajax is not saying that. I, Why are you I, telling them where you, where you live? I'm a rebel. Yeah. I pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> Maybe there was dispatched by the Hells Angels, that hitchhiker. Yeah. 
Maybe the and these aren't the one percenters Pierre Polyev's upset about uh, either. There's your quiz, your Hell's Angels quiz to prep you, prep you for the weekend, especially if you're in Durham region. Be uh, be kind, give a wave here and there, steer clear, do all that stuff. Excited to have her on. She's content strategist with the Globe and Mail's Globe Content Studio, managing director of Dio Media and Communications, which is a creative narrative consulting firm based in Toronto. I think we talked two weeks ago. Uh, the day of the Rogers outage, believe it or not. So maybe that's three weeks ago now. It's hard to keep the week straight. Dio Confense. Was, was it two weeks Good ago? Morning. How are you doing? I am doing well. We were lucky to get that call in. <laughs> I think when we're having that conversation, we're probably like, ah, this will come back or just after the show ends around 9.03. Everybody will be back online and yeah. businesses. I went to get a haircut that day. I know people we're going to the we were talking about the weekend show at Rogers we Center and it didn't happen about the weekend and it didn't happen. Yeah. But I also posted that day. I was like, you know what? What a day to be alive. It's like living in 1989 again. We don't have to think about online stuff for a little while. We can put our feet up. It was not a bad day, but it was a bad day for Rogers. For it sure. was a bad day for And I remember thinking, I do need to check my email at some point. So I went to a friend's house that was a non-Rogers customer, used their Wi-Fi and checked my email. So maybe I, I wasn't acting like it was the 80s and 90s again. I, I caved, uh, Dio. I, I, I gave in. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, I did not. I lived in <laughs> for a while and enjoyed it and had a great time. So- but- no, the Rogers folks are, are struggling a little bit. Yeah, tell me what you think of. Well, they've done two things here. They uh, they moved out uh, their uh, basically their their tele their IT executive, which may have been inevitable, and they sell consumers a five day credit. Um, think, do you think that's enough? People always ask for more, but remember that the offer was early on. Oh, we'll give you. I, I didn't expect more than maybe a two day credit. This would yeah. cut people's monthly bill by 20% for one month. Like they took a hit on, on what was happening that day, but they're taking a little bit bigger hit as well by giving people 20% back for an entire month. I, I don't know what more people would want. Um, do you think it's enough? Mm, well, I think by offering five days, it gives people, it gives them the opportunity to say they didn't offer something substantial. Mm. Um, so, and, you know, if it was two days, you're going to have people that are going to say, well, I was out for three days. And what about four? It was five days gives people kind of the opportunity not to complain too much. But my complaint with the whole situation and in covering this and reading about it, not just in the Globe and Mail, but in coverage all over, is the lack of communication that happened during this whole debacle. How can you be a telecommunications company and not let people know what's happening for hours and hours on end this was like who how does that happen greg how does that happen a, so you're saying on a friday get a camera together which they have lots of get a camera together get in front of a microphone sit down and explain the process they update people uh every hour like it's a like it's a, a natural disaster or a storm or something a hurricane coming i don't think that's unreasonable for you to ask that and going back to my 1989 analogy which i will say <laughs> year what did back then we didn't have online we might they were probably locked up and couldn't get through i get that but you could have gone to the media you could have called mm. 640 toronto been on the air every hour on the hour let people know what's going on radio had a moment on that day i listened to radio all day in ways that i hadn't listened to before because my internet was and my television cable was gone so my my issue here is why didn't rogers do more and i think in the weeks to come we're going to be seeing more coverage about what they need to do. And not only that, but 
also the infrastructure that needs to happen to allow more people to be getting more access more often and more consistently. Hear that. Dio Kefense, uh, our guest content strategist with the Global Mail's Globe Content Studio. Um, I want to ask you, I, I think next week with these hearings back in Ottawa with a lot of Hockey Canada brass and maybe even some of the players testifying, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be sort of a watershed moment in the sport. Have we moved the ball forward? Absolutely. More women play than ever. More minorities play than ever. You got um, Nazem Kadri, a uh, prominent Muslim, being a key player on a Stanley Cup winning team. Mike Greer is the new GM of the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. It took forever to have a black general manager, way longer than it should have, but it has happened. How do you how do you view this? What do you look at and say, Hockey Canada is still a big problem. And in some communities, there's a level of distrust with not just Hockey Canada, but the whole hockey culture still. And there's not just distrust, there's also disengagement. I can't say that I'm a person who grew up really being engaged in hockey. Um, For those who don't know me, and many don't, um, I am a Black woman. I grew up in Toronto area. It doesn't mean I couldn't have played hockey, but I certainly did not turn on, you know, CBC Hockey Night in Canada and see people like me playing for me to feel like I'm connected to the game. So when Mike Greer was announced, though, I was I was saying to my young colleagues that I was having a moment mm-hmm. that I think that there was actually a black man as a general manager of a NHL. Like, it, it's it, I don't know how you feel about this, Greg. Maybe I don't know if this is hitting you in the same way, but it certainly hit me. It hit others that I that I know who played hockey who are African-Canadian. And I actually reached out to one of my friends who I hadn't spoken to in 30 years and said, if I'm having a moment and I haven't hit the ice and played hockey, what are you having? And this guy is a guy who played hockey here to the highest levels, went to division one at a prestigious university in the States and went on to play there, but did experience as he shared with me um, this week, some challenges in even moving forward in the game. So to me, without really being someone who is engaged in the sport or knowing all of the details, my question back to you and back yeah. to hockey is, are they ready to do the work, to do the internal work, to make the kind of changes that need to happen if they're serious about culture change? You, I mean, you, great- you nailed it, Dio. And, and, and it can't just be nothing. I don't think Mike Greer takes the job if he just thinks I'm getting exploited here or I'm a figurehead. He, he's, he's done the work. He's put the time in as a scout. He's risen up through management, so he's done those things. But to your friend's point, it's just been harder. It's been harder for anybody who isn't white. It's been harder for anybody who doesn't look a certain way, doesn't talk a certain way to be accepted in the sport. And I hate that. And I, I don't think it's unique in society or sport, Dio, but in hockey, it's been more of a problem. And I, I will tell you that even for even for gay men, I remember it was such a massive story when Brian Burke's son came out and he tragically yeah. lost his life soon after in a car accident. But I heard a lot of people say, well, this will just bust the bust that glass ceiling and there will be openly gay players in the NHL. I didn't see it at the time, and I hated being the the one with the hard truth because um, sometimes I'm 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 a big believer and I'm overly optimistic. But I'm like, not in this sport. This is gonna be one of the last sports that allow it to happen, and that's and just I'll saying go, the truth. Yeah, and I'll go one step further on that. At least without you know what he I heard learned this week. At least in his particular circumstances, and fair enough, it was a while ago. It was the early two thousands, et cetera. But still. Mm. It, is a culture that really continues unless it really changes. In his situation, mm-hmm. he was told outright, there are people and funders mm-hmm. that are really necessarily happy about the idea of a black captain. So we can't make you that. Yeah, that's hockey, hockey culture needs to really take an inside look, 
myself and my co-partner Chantel Clow, we work with organizations a lot, just mm. a lot of culture work, organizational culture work, internal work to say like, what is it that you really feel? What are you trying to say? And what what can we do to help you get that story out? Totally. People to be willing to do the work. You can you can say yeah. you want to. But, but will you do the work? And next week's a massive week. I, I really think a lot may change, and I encourage people, watch the hearings, watch them with your kids, watch the coverage of it, um, and and you'll get a better sense whether we're moving the ball forward or we're just saying things to uh, to look like we're being uh, progressive. we got to do the actual thing. With Dio Kofense, content strategist with the Globe and Mail's Globe Content Studio and Managing Director of Dio Media and Communications, a creative narrative consulting firm based in Toronto. I want to hear your passport story because I know you have one. I, I had to yeah. look a couple different times. I've, I've gotten one flight this calendar year. I did one land border crossing to back to uh, my former home in Michigan about a month ago. Loved every second of it. So I love to travel, but I had to check both times because I'm just the pa- I have to, it takes me 20 minutes to find the passport and then I'm panicked and I have to look at the date just because it feels like forever mean- since I've used it and forever since I've checked to make sure I hasn't expired yet. Greg, why are you checking 20 minutes for a passport? Your passport <laughs> should be a safe space that you know where to go to. I don't know. Let's start there. I have a longer story where I left it in a hotel, like under the Holy Bible in a hotel, checked out of that hotel and had to knock on the door. The guy thought he was probably being uh, it was like a hotel room invasion or something. He probably thought I was going to keep him hostage. And I begged him to open the door because I knew where the the hotel staff wouldn't help me. And I had to beg the guy in Denver, Colorado. And we didn't speak the same language. So I'm begging him. I'm like, I'm not going to hurt you. My passport is under the Holy Bible. I checked out six hours ago. People who you can't be, you can't be careless with your passport, right? And as we, or even when it expires and not that it was anyone's fault, of course, because of the pandemic. And we've read a lot about the delays, lots of coverage everywhere. 640 Toronto's covered it. We've covered it. Mm-hmm. But here's the situation on the ground when people are in line. Have you seen those lines? Have you actually visually observed the lineups around central beyond the news, like literally driving by or talking to people? I drove by Central Parkway Mall in Mississauga, spoke to someone a few weeks ago. It was a Sunday in the blazing heat, and he was sitting there saying, I'm going to sleep out here all day till I get this passport. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like, this is Canada. What are we doing? (laughs) I don't understand. So I think the passport story that you were that you might know about that I wanted to share with you was kind of what people have to do to get this passport. Like I said, I have a colleague who went day after day because she was going to Trinidad to get her passport and managed to get it because she was relentless. And then I had another friend who's looking to travel tomorrow in the weekend. But what she ended up doing and what she was advised to do was to buy a like buy a ticket for a, a trip that she doesn't actually need, but that would push her ahead. So like almost like a dummy, a dummy trip, a real trip, but she could cancel it, buy it, get the passport ahead of time so she can go her on her actual trip in the next few weeks. That's amazing. What? I don't know who came up with that strategy and with all the crisis in the passport office, I never would have thought of that in the last several months. So that's a very in, ingenious move. Well, because people are talking about it in line, right? I mean, I'm my passport expires in, in a couple of years, so I don't have to worry. But for those who need to worry and for those who need to get out of here, I actually know someone who did that. Well, listen, like, again, the, the distinction between you and me, you, you'd whip me at chess. You're clearly smarter because you got a 10 year passport and I got a five year one and you can find yours in two minutes and it takes me 20. So that's a lot right there. I'm looking at my passport right now. I'm looking at it. I, I could get home. And if you said, uh, you know, uh, I need to find it by 11 a.m., I'm not sure I could promise that. <laughs> 
don't know, Greg. We have other conversations to have about that. Is, is one of those things, yeah. So, um, formerly known as Carabana, kicks in next yeah. week. And I know you want to give some love to a, a phenomenal artist. Enjoy laps. And you're gonna edu- you're gonna educate me on Steel Pan. I saw I'm on her website right now. I'm with it and uh, at joylaps.com. She's got a new album out July 8th. Uh, that's so it's been out a couple of weeks called Girl in the Yard. Um, that yes. was going to be my debut album title. But if Joy needs it more than me, that's fine. I think Joy needs it. And okay. Because I'd like to know what yard you've actually played on. Right? <laughs> have you tried Steel Pan? Have you, have- I, I've watched people do it. I don't have a, I don't have a musical bone in my body, except maybe maybe I can maybe I sound like some singers, but I can't play an instrument. And when I look at Steel Pan, anytime I've ever seen video of it, I'm like, how do so many unique? I know it's uh, it originates in Trinidad and Tobago, but I don't know how many. Say, I get why the saxophone makes the sound it makes. I can't figure out the steel pan to save my life. I mean, there's a whole science behind it that I'm not even going to try to get a, go through. But I can tell you from experience, I tried playing this thing in 2013 with Pan Fantasy, one of the Toronto steel pan bands, and it is hard. I played piano for 10 years. It is nothing like it, but Joy makes it look so easy, so seamless. And what I appreciate about her is that she's made it her life's work to really profile the importance of steel pen and not just steel pen, but what women have contributed to the art form. Because often in these pan yards, which I encourage you to come to, Greg, there's a Mm -hmm. blog in Toronto this weekend for free. You can come and check it out yourself as a way of self-care. We can talk about that in a moment. But you come, you check it out, and the sounds just take take it over. But a lot of times, these pan yards were traditionally men playing pan. You didn't really see women in the yard. And so when she's naming her, her album Girl in the Yard, it's for a reason. It's to highlight that women can play, women are great. And she has really been on a national tour playing. She's played all over Canada this summer, showcasing steel pan and jazz. And she'll be at the Beaches Jazz Festival on Sunday. Okay, on oh, so this is this Sunday on the twenty fourth, not Caravana weekend. No, this Sunday on the twenty fourth, she'll be doing it. Kind of a preview of the sounds you may hear on the road next. So, do you think the the instrument was just so hard to do? I'll, I'll tell you, as a as a rock fan, as a music fan in general, I like a lot of rock, a lot of funk. Prince, before he passed, right, put that band together, Third Eye Girl, and it was drummer, guitarist, bass, all all females. And the drummer yeah. was, I saw, got to see that once before in 2015, and he passed in 2016. The drummer's a woman named Hannah Weldon, and she would just rip it. And I love seeing that because, again, it it blows up the entire narrative, kind of, that only guys can do this, that you can have some phenomenal female drummers. Um, Gina Shock in the Go-Go's was a phenomenal drummer. So I would guess that it's an instrument where maybe there was a little bit, ah, uh, you may not want to, may, that may be a little tough for you. And Joy just says, no, it's not. I, I'll, I'll do the work and get better at it. No, it's not. And not just that. One step further, she's what I, I'm impressed with her all the time, but she actually studied it also at York University and did her master's in steel pan arrangement. Like she is a Canadian phenomenon and I really am excited by her work, hoping to check her out this summer at Beaches Jazz Festival and hopefully listeners will take her on too. But more importantly, like, and and as important, I would say, like Caribbean culture is so vast. It's not just people dancing in the streets. It's not just, you know, having a good time. Elements that people might not think about that joy really makes you think about. So that's what I would say. And Greg, I think you need to try Steel Pan. I, I, I got to watch it more in person first, and then I got to consider whether I've got like, the arm strength. I think arm you're scared to... a little bit. Don't be scared. <laughs> right. It's not. It's, I can, 
It's not that hard. And maybe one time I can have Joy come in and show you. I Oh, an in-person steel pan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll cater that. We'll, we'll have bagels and, and, and coffee <laughs> if she's going to bring a steel pan into the studio. Are you kidding? We'll go nuts for that. Now, in typical fashion, we're not looking out for ourselves enough because we have a minute yeah. left to talk about Sunday, which is International Self-Care Day. What do you want to say about it? What, what, why is that important? Why is that important? I mean, if nothing else, we have lived through two years of a lot, two, three years. Life is a lot. And we need to take time to really take a minute to preserve our mental health. So I think you're getting a sense of what I'm about. Self-care for me is, and we even talked about it the first time we chatted. I love to listen to music. So self-care is important. And I want to know what you do for it. Because what do you do? A lot, a lot of facials, a lot, a lot of skincare pamper, uh, pampering, pampering myself with skincare products. A lot, a lot of, a lot of lush products. No, I love that stuff. (laughs) You're here. No, no, I'm not run. Okay. Here's what I do. I run. I love to run on the treadmill. I don't want to worry about traffic or bikes or the heat. I love to go inside of the gym and run long distances and listen to my own playlist. Not my own voice for sure. Just long. I'm going to hit a long run on Sunday just to, just to give myself some self-love. I love that. And that's important, Greg. I want you to be relaxed so you come back on the air and you can chill. But self-care is important. And I hope all listeners take a minute on you, Sunday. You made it happen for me today, Dio. Thank you very much for the time. Have a great weekend. And uh, and you yeah, too. Joy Lap Sunday at, uh, at the Jazz Fest. Thank you so much for the time. Take care. Have a great weekend. Really appreciate you listening to Toronto today. Have yourself a great weekend. We're back with another live show, of course, on Monday, the 25th of July, 5.30 to 9. And you can get us on the Radio Player Canada app and, of course, at 640toronto.com and on your radio, 640 on the AM dial. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend.